morning, and good to see you. If I haven't met you yet, I'm Brian Habig. I'm one of the pastors here, and that was Jake Patton who was leading us in worship. We are uh, picking back up from what we've been doing this fall. We took a little break from this last week to look at a, a different part of the New Testament. But what, if you're visiting, what we've been doing this fall is looking in the first gospel, the first book of the New Testament, and using it to talk about the theme of the kingdom. And this is a theme that really, it goes from Genesis to Revelation. And it's just prominent, especially in the New Testament. And it's it's a, it's a way that we don't often talk about the Christian life or Christianity. The Bible doesn't really use the word Christianity, but it uses the term kingdom all the time. So we want to take a look at this. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 13 this morning, mostly verses 31 to 33. And uh, before I read that, let me, let me just... I, I, Jake kind of he might have felt um, like he wasn't the one to, to mention this, but he's going to be heading out this Wednesday... To, uh, with his father on a missions trip. His father works with a, <clears throat> a missions agency called East-West, that's correct? And uh, they're heading out And wh- How many hours of travel will you have? Okay, about 40 hours of travel to get to a part of India that's up near the Himalayas. So a lot like what all of us will be doing October and, and uh, November. But he's been, uh, he's been loading up his pack and rucking and uh, trying to get ready. His dad just turned his ankle so we'll have to see how that goes. But um, we're going to be praying for Jake, I know, in your absence and, uh, and through the week. But I want you to know that he's doing that. And um, just be interested to hear about your adventures when you get back. Take one or two pictures, if, if you don't mind. Okay. Well, we're going to be in Matthew 13, and again, mostly verses 31 to 33. A friend of mine who is a minister, just somewhere else, some other place, about 20 years ago he started a ministry... And it it very quickly got a lot of traction and just, you know, had a lot of, quote, visible success. And so he got a phone call maybe, I don't know, maybe like two or three years into it. And I'm going from memory here, but I think it was from a Christian magazine. And uh, someone had heard about this ministry, heard about what was going on, and said, hey, we'd like to come talk to you. We've heard about there's some very encouraging things going on. We'd like to come see see what's happening where you minister. And I've never forgotten his reply. He said to the person on the phone, well, you can if you want to, but have you ever watched a flower grow? That was a very Jesus-y answer. Because I know that if that had been me, you know, just in the flesh and wanting to be important and whatever, that I'd think, oh yeah, come on by, we can talk about, you know, talk about what's going on, I'll introduce you to different people. And, and this, this friend of mine just quickly, he just quickly connected the dots, yeah, you can come if you want to, but... What you'll see is very organic, and it won't look like a big deal. Although there is something happening. Now, that, that is just a great setup for these parables. Um, sometimes Jesus told parables that were sort of standalone, and sometimes he told parables that might be lumped together. There's parables about lost things in Luke, and those go together. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost, lost sons. Those go together. Uh, Tim, I think, preached on the one about the pearl of great price and the treasure in the field. Those go together. I want to look at two parables in Matthew 13 that are about the kingdom. And these two, they're they're very short. They go together, even in another gospel. And they seem to be making the point. Here's, Here's the big thing I want you to think about. Jesus is highlighting something. 
he's highlighting what is the kingdom like. And it's really beautiful, I think just for us in general, I think it's really beautiful for Presbyterians because we are, Presbyterians historically have been all about the info and all about doctrine and all about the information. And I'm sold on that. And the New Testament prioritizes that. But Jesus will teach with images and not spell everything out. And so I want you to hear how he uses these images to to, to really, to answer this question. What is the kingdom like? Matthew 13, and I'm going to just read these two verses from 10 and 11 for context. And then verse 31. Keep in mind that this follows other parables with someone who sows seed and the seed itself and what happens to the seed. And then you get this. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. Verse 31, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, you've said in the Proverbs that that good words, right words, are like apples of gold and settings of silver. And Lord Jesus, no one ever did that like, like you did that. And all the words are important. But we, we, we pray as we come to these, these parables, these lovely little parables, that you would open our hearts and you enable us to connect the dots from them to our very lives, our very world, that you'd work in our midst through your word. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. When, uh, when I finished college and was thinking about seminary, I, I decided to, to do a two-year internship with a college ministry that, that we support, RUF, that's our denomination's college ministry. And uh, I wanted to do that because it had a big impact on me, but I also wanted to do that as kind of a testing time about should I keep going with this, pursue seminary. Uh, I remember the first year that I worked with this particular campus ministry, it was at Vanderbilt, that we had a, a big fall retreat that, and, and it was, usually we had these retreats with other schools, but we were doing this one just for, just for us. And now I think my numbers are right, but I'm, I'm going from memory here. But we, 200 students went. And I think at that time, there were around 5,000 undergrads at Vanderbilt, give or take. So let's just go with that. I hope, hope my numbers are somewhat correct. But I remembered, you know, just... just as we were getting ready for this retreat and the numbers keep going up, keep going up, and we're just like really getting a lot of traction on this thing, I thought, man, one in every 25 Vanderbilt undergrads is going to be at this retreat. It's going to be teaching. It's going to be fellowship. One in every 25. I was just very encouraged about that. And then like on the heels of that, it hit me, 24 out of every 25 undergraduates 
will not be at this retreat. And I remember actually feeling discouraged about that. Like, even in the face of, man, that this is great turnout, kind of that sense of what, what difference will this really make? You know, like, did we just happen to get this little embattled minority of 200 people that sort of think the same way, and we're really not making an impact on the campus? I, I want you to think about, and I'm going to come back to this in a second, I want you to think about who the original hearers of these two parables are. Jesus told a parable just about someone who scatters seed and it falls on different kinds of soil and the soil does different things. And the disciples come to him and say, what does that parable mean? And he, and he pulls off away from just kind of the general crowd and he talks to them specifically And he tells these parables that we're looking at this morning to the apostles, not just to the crowd in general. And I want you to think about how important that is. Because this little ragtag group of men who get things wrong and they make mistakes and they don't get it about Jesus, they are going to be, humanly speaking, the leaders of the church when Jesus rises from the dead and ascends back into heaven. They are going to be sent all over the world to make disciples. And Jesus is letting them hear this early on. What is the kingdom like? The kingdom of God is like something. And and here are the sermon points. That has small beginnings and it ends up with big results. And, and that, okay, that sounds straightforward. That, that's hard to remember in the moment. I think Americans especially, but just people in general, we want something big and observable and measurable and important. And Jesus says through these parables, that's not what the kingdom of God is like, especially when it starts, especially in its beginnings. It begins small. It seems insignificant. And then things happen. So let's look at this. And and, and those themes come through in both the little parables. So small beginnings, big results. Let's think about this. Look at the small beginnings. Look at verse 32 from from the first parable. Well, actually, back in 31, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. And it really struck me. He doesn't say a bunch of mustard seed. He says... This, this sower, seems to be a man, takes one single grain of a mustard seed and he takes it into his garden and he sows it. And then Jesus says this, it is the smallest of all seeds. Now that is not scientifically strictly true. He's talking the way we talk. He's using hyperbole. And in their normal experience, the smallest seed that you would use commonly would be the mustard seed. He says, all right, here's what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a man taking one of those and sowing it in his garden. Uh, In my own experience in gardening, which is limited and bumpy, uh, that would be like carrot seeds. I planted some carrot seeds this fall. They're so small. They're so small, they almost won't let go of you. You know, like they stick to the sweat or the oil on your fingers. And uh, you can't plant them individually because they're so tiny. So you kind of have to just go down a row. See, me, this is me sowing carrot seeds right here. You have to kind of go down the row and just sort of hope that they let go because you can't see an individual one fall hardly with your naked eye. That must have been what mustard seed was like. So this guy goes and he plants 
one of those. All right, now, don't, don't hear what I'm about to say, I hope, as chauvinism or sexism, but in Jesus' context, the way normal life went, he sort of tells a male version of this story, and then he tells a female version with the second parable. Like he draws from common men's experience. Women would sew too, but a lot of men would know what sewing was like. And then he draws from home life. Look at what he says in verse 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. Now, this is yet another one of these places where it's so great that we have Bible scholars that look into the background and help us understand things. When I've read this parable before, I've never preached on this parable. And when I've read this before and I've heard three measures of flour... Like, what did you picture in your mind? I pictured three cups. And that's not what the, ter- not what the term means. Three measures is three sata. And we don't know exactly because, you know, we don't, have these, we don't know exactly what these measurements were like, but most scholars agree three sata would be something like 50 pounds of flour. That would, that would be the max that a woman would ever handle at one time. And that would be like a woman who's the equivalent of a caterer. That's a massive amount of flour. And the way it worked is you'd have, you know, you'd have some old dough that had yeast in it. And as you got this new dough prepared, you'd work in the old dough to leaven it. And he says that this woman, she, just has, she has just a little bit of the old dough, a little bit of leaven, and she works it into, not my mental picture, 50 pounds of flour worth of dough. Very small compared to all that you've got to leaven. Little bitty seed compared to what you're hoping is going to happen, to have mustard oil for your family. Now, I'm going to say this again. Remember, the first recipients of these parables, we're not the first recipients. It's the apostles. And, you know, when you read the Bible... You've got to keep remembering the people who first see these things and hear these things and experience these things, they don't know how it's going to turn out. You know, like I say every Christmas, Mary doesn't know she's the Mary. She's a young Jewish woman. She doesn't know all the things that we're going to like talk about and sing about and have plays about. The apostles, after this, are told by Jesus right before He ascends into heaven... Now, go and make disciples of all nations. And apparently, they did. You know, I've mentioned to you that I had a, I had a friend in seminary, a guy named uh, Yanadas. And Yanadas uh, loves Jesus, and he loves India. He's from India, came over to study, has returned to India. A remarkable man. And I, and I know I've told this story before, but one day we were driving around and I said, yeah, isn't it kind of like a tradition that Thomas took the gospel to India? And he was a real smiley man. Man, his smile disappeared and he turned to me and said, he did take the gospel to India. I mean, like, that's not tradition in the Indian church. That is fact. That these men went out all over the world and they went into areas even with no synagogues. Now you think about what was it like for them when you go into Rome, or you go into India, or you go into parts of the African continent, and you just come into a town or a village, and you're just going to start. 
This is Jesus loving them saying, look, when you start out, it's going to seem like this isn't doing squat. This is insignificant, and it makes no difference. And you've got to understand that's what the kingdom is like. And I want to ask you a question. Why is the kingdom the way the kingdom is? Why is the kingdom of God the way it is? Who sets the DNA for what God's kingdom is like? Who sets the DNA for what any kingdom is like? The king. And think about this. On one occasion, Jesus compared himself essentially to a seed. In John chapter 12, this is right before he's going to like open his heart up. We call it the upper room discourse. Lord's Supper, teaches the disciples, arrested that night, crucified the next day. Right before that, Jesus looks around to his disciples and says, you know, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies. It can't bear fruit. And the amazing thing is, what's the seed he's talking about? Is it teaching? No. He's the seed. And essentially he's saying this, you know, in however many hours from now, 48 hours from now, 36 hours from now, you're going to see a seemingly unimportant Jewish man. Uh, what, What some people have called a marginal Jew you're going to see him crucified by the Roman authorities and by the Jewish authorities. And it's just going to seem like a routine execution and not a big deal. And that's going to be like a a, a little kernel of wheat falling to the ground and dying. And that act is going to change the world. That affects what the kingdom of God is like on all fronts. That things in God's kingdom, things in Jesus' kingdom start out seemingly insignificant and teeny tiny and they become big. They become living. They are pervasive. They touch way more lives and things than you ever could have guessed on the front end. That's what the kingdom is like. Now, so what, what does that mean? That the kingdom is like something with big results. Look at verse 32 of the first parable. He says, all right, that mustard seed, it's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, strictly speaking, it's not a tree. And Jesus knows that. But, it, but again, he's talking in normal human terms. It becomes something that might grow 10 feet or higher. You can hardly see the seed. It can grow 10 feet or higher. It was actually advised, don't plant a mustard seed in your garden because it's so invasive. Plant, sow it in a field somewhere. It's going to get so big that not only are you going to get the mustard oil that you, that you want for yourself or your, for your family, but, but Jesus says... It's big enough that birds come and make nests in its branches. This is brilliant visual theology on Jesus' part. Because picture it this way. You've got this Israelite man. I want mustard oil. Plants the mustard seed and it grows. So it grows and he goes, man, this is great. My family's going to have mustard. But you've also got birds saying, we love our new house. And I know that, you know, Israelites and birds couldn't talk. But if they could talk, you know, he might say to the birds... 
well, I didn't really plan it for you. And the birds could just say, well, you know, sounds like a win-win to us. A happy ending for all of us. And commentators generally agree that Jesus, when he, when he uses this, this image, he's reaching back into the prophets. Especially Ezekiel and Daniel, especially the passage that was our Old Testament reading about God is going to make a tree. He's going to take down the prideful, self-promotional trees. He's going to take those trees down. And he's going to establish a tree. And birds of the air will come and make their home in this tree. And in Ezekiel 17 and in these other passages in Ezekiel and Daniel, the birds signify what? The Gentiles. The non-Jews. And think think about what a lovely image this is. Jesus is saying, hey guys, whether you understand this or not, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go out and you're going to start these insignificant movements in other nations, in other cities, in other parts of the world. And it may seem like you're not penetrating at all. And my Heavenly Father is going to grow something so big that people who did not grow up at the Law and the Prophets, people who are ethnically Gentile and they did not grow up anticipating the Messiah, they're going to make their home in the kingdom of the Messiah and live there. You may think you're just doing this because this is your Jewish work to do because the Messiah has come. That's true. But I'm going to do something that's going to affect the nations of the world. Same theme is in the second parable. He says, you've got this woman, this little bit of leaven. It says she hides it. She she works it into this around 50 pounds of flour's worth of dough. And again, these are are round number estimates, but that would have been enough bread. I saw estimates of 100 to 150 people. In other words, she's not just baking for her massive family. That would be like making bread for the entire village. And What a beautiful way to say it. Like this little bit of leaven that's not a big deal is going to end up sort of being the secret behind the whole village having bread. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Uh, You know, I could give you statistics. I think they might be boring to you, but, but it's amazing to think about. At one point in church history, one in every 10 million people believed in Jesus. And then one in every million people and then one in every 100,000, and then one in every 10,000, and then one in every 1,000, and then one in every 100, and then one in every 10. That is the trajectory of church history. And just so that doesn't sound like triumphalism, uh, some people could hear that and go, wow, things are getting better and better and better. Well, at one level they are. In another level, guess what happens as the kingdom grows? There's more what? Conflict. Persecution. Jesus was always honest about that. But the trajectory of church history is that the kingdom quietly, in seemingly insignificant ways, it grows. Think about how much we need to hear that. Because 
getting this inside your heart is the antidote to what good does it really do if we... dot, dot, dot. What good does it really do if I... dot, dot, dot. I mean, I thought about this with, with our church plant. Uh, Tim said that um, had an encouraging gathering last night, and it was a very encouraging gathering the first time, just the interest meeting about this church plant. So thankful for this. So thankful for, for what's already happening. But I would say this to you. If you're here this morning, and you've been to some of those interest meetings, and you're thinking that you might be a part of this church plant, it's going to get hard. And I'm not trying to sound like, you know, General Patton up here, you know, like some of you are going to have your heads blown off. I don't, I'm not trying to, like, discourage you. But just to say, it's going to get hard. It's going to get hard because we're just, we get tired. It's going to get hard because we don't know how things are going to turn out. It's going to get hard because of spiritual warfare. And there's going to be times where, like, maybe after two or three really encouraging Sundays, then there's a down Sunday. And you might look around and, I don't know, there's... there's however many people, 50 people there, 60 people there, and you thought it was going to be more people there, and you feel like, ugh. And then you look around at how many people are in that oval that we drew of North Greenville about the target area for this church plant, and you think, man, what good does this really do? And that's when you're going to have to hang on to the kingdom is like a mustard seed. Little bitty mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like this little bit of leavened dough that you put in this big batch. That oval is 50 pounds of flour, and this church plant is this little bit of dough. I'm not saying it's going to be the only voice of the gospel, but it's a little one. And then God does things. And this is the antidote to what good does it do if we... It's the antidote to what good does it do if I... Um, it has, it's been a real encouragement to me that in the life of our church, sort of from, from early on, there have been people keeping adoption before us, foster care before us, orphan care before us. All right, think about if that has touched your life, and maybe for the first time in your life you've thought about, wow, what if I, what if we did foster care? And all of a sudden, the voices just howl inside of you. Do you know how many children are in that system just in the Greenville area? Do you know how many children are in that system in the upstate? Do you know how many children are in that system in the United States? Do you really think it's going to make, for all the hassle that's going to be, do you really think that's going to make any difference if you care for this child for, whatever, four months? That is not God's voice. And that's not to say there aren't hard things to look at and you need to talk to people and gain wisdom from others. But that is not God's voice to say, you know what, if you did that, that doesn't, that doesn't do anything. What about something even just kind of a little bit more mundane? What about, wow, what if I had my neighbors over, sort of playing off what Jake was talking about? Halloween, optimal neighbor connection. I mean, if you put on a Michael Myers mask, how can you not be friends at that point? Or whatever you choose to do. 
let's say you're thinking about, I, I want to have my neighbors over. I feel weird about it. We've been neighbors for, you know, seven years, and we just kind of wave, and no one's ever made a, everybody's waiting on somebody else to make the first move. It feels weird for me just to up and make the first move. There's just, there's just limitless ways to talk yourself out of it and go, you know what, I could do that, and we'd have dinner, and then we'd have this next stalemate. And there's all these other neighbors that, I mean, I'm never going to get to them. So, like, what good would it do if in Jesus' name I had my neighbors over. The kingdom is like a grain of mustard seed. Ten-foot-tall tree, the birds can make nests in it. I, I need... I, 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 this is not all shucks fake humility. I don't know if there's anyone in this room that needs to hear this more than me because I have an inner Eeyore that just sort of trends toward, yeah, I guess it was okay this week, but I don't know. What good is it doing? Man, we need to hear this. Let me end with this. Uh, Vaclav Havel, who was a, a Czech writer, poet, dissident, who became, uh, after the Czech Revolution, the first president, the first democratically elected president of the, the newly established Czech Republic. He was asked, how was it that this revolution was bloodless? And it's actually been called the Velvet Revolution or the Gentle Revolution. How was that? Because that's not how most revolutions go, especially in that part of the world. And Vaclav Havel said this, we had a parallel society... And in our parallel, he means parallel to the Communist Party. And in our parallel society, we told our stories and we sang our songs until finally we stepped out into the streets of Prague one day and said, We don't believe your lies anymore. And the old regime fell. Do you know what we're doing right now? And I hope this doesn't sound corny, but it's true. Like, we're singing our songs. We're going to sing at the end, Jesus shall reign everywhere that the sun shines, which is everywhere. We're going to sing our songs, and we're going to hear these truths. And when those voices howl inside of us, it doesn't matter if you have your neighbor over. It doesn't matter if you teach a child a Bible verse. It doesn't matter if you mentor or tutor it doesn't matter if you get involved in a, in a neighborhood association, whether that voice is from the inside or from the outside, to step out into our offices and our neighborhoods and say, we do not believe your lies anymore. Jesus shall reign. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, because your son has said this, we believe it's true. But just because it's true doesn't mean that it goes deep down in our hearts. And we pray that you would put it in there, that, that whether it's the voices of what we think is pragmatism or being realistic or not being too idealistic, whether it's uh, our disbelief, whether it's our um, lack of faith, whether it's our cynicism, we pray that we would hear you saying the kingdom starts small and you grow it. It's your kingdom.
that she would use us. She used us to put a mustard seed in Greenville, to put a mustard seed where a mustard seed is needed, to put a little bit of leaven where leaven is needed. And use us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.